Okay, we are learning Daf Lam and Vav, and we're picking up. And the Gemara wants to know about whether or not, after all the shofar sounds were, were over, if someone hadn't yet lit candles, can they go light candles right then? And the root of the question is, did Chazal leave some time for the one who's blowing the shofar to transport his shofar back home, to take his shofar back home, and therefore there would be some extra time that a person could light the candles, or the Shabbos begin as soon as, as soon as the blows are over. So... The Gemara was basically um, now wants to get into a tangent about whether or not this is true that a shofar is in fact moksa. So we're starting on Lamid Hey with Bez, second line from the bottom. So we said that you can't move the shofar on Shabbos, it's moksa. So the Gemara says, Is that really true? About Tanya says in another bracer, shofar metalta, but in metalta. A shofar could be moved on Shabbos. A trumpet can't be moved. So a trumpet isn't curved, the shofar is moved, it's curved. And that therefore the difference would be is that both of them are primarily made to blow sounds on the Shabbos, which is forbidden, and therefore you would think that maybe they'd be moksa because their primary usage is forbidden, uh, but at the same time, they are kalim. So a shofar you could use because it's a curve, you could creatively use as like a cup to scoop up water for a kid, but the Gemara will tell us. But a chatrotzos doesn't really have a usage. So in this price, it seems to say, so a shofar is not moksa because it's a clean, even though primarily it's used to do something asar on Shabbos, but there are other usages it can have that make it not moksa, but a chatrotzos can't be carried. So here we see in this price that the shofar is not moksa. We just said a shofar is moksa, and in this price it says, it says it's not moksa. So the Gemara answers, Amar of Yosef, Lokash. It's not a question. Kambi Yachar depends. If it's a private one, it's not moksa. Kambi Tzibar. But if it's a Tzibar, a communal one, it is moksa. What's the difference between the two? Um, and the Gemara seems to think is that the, a communal shofar, it's not you know a private person's shofar that they can decide to do something like like fill up water for it. It's, it's not theirs. But a, a private individual shofar, they could they could use to fill up um, water for it for somebody who if they, if they would need some if they would need some some water for. It. So the Gemara says, Is that really true for a private person? What can you use the shofar for? Because you could use it to scoop up the water for a kid. So with Tiwar Nami, even for a communal one, the Tinokani, you can use it for a poor kid. A poor kid, the parents don't have water. So who's supposed to feed the kids? Dr. Ashi, the Tibor, the Tibor, it's a communal t- obligation for the Tibor to feed the kids. So then the communal shofar can be used as a cup. So if you're saying that the private shofar is not moksa because you can use to improvise, for a cup for a child, so then a communal shofar also can be used to improvise for to, if there's no cup to, f- to feed a poor kid. So in both situations, whether it's a communal shofar or private shofar, there's theoretically other usages that you can use the shofar for. So if you're saying a shofar is not moksa, it shouldn't be moksa, regardless whether or not it's a public or a private one. So we back to our question, is a shofar moksa or is it not? Again, it's primarily a kli, which is used for selling around Chavez, but there are other usages that theoretically can be used for it. So now Abai has another cash of the two, and furthermore, I'll give you another price. The same way you could carry a shofar, you could carry that So Mani, who's this one? So... Now we really have another question, because in this b'risa, we see that you can use both the shofar um, and the chatzotzos. So it looks like a huge contradiction here. So what's going on? So Abai therefore says, El Okash, rather, there's no difficulty. Harab Yudah, Harab Shimon, Harab Nechemia. Depends if you hold like Reb Yudah, like Reb Shimon, or Reb Nechemia. So let's give some background to this. Reb Yudah is always more machmer in the laws of Mutza um, than Reb Shimon. So that would explain thus the first thing. A shofar, according to Rabbi Yudah, this is the way Rashi learns the Gemara, that according to Rabbi Yudah, a shofar is not moksa because even though it seems that it's primarily used for blowing, but there are other usages for it as well, like filling up the water, and therefore a shofar is always not moksa. It's not considered to be a moksa kli. But a chatzotzos, which pretty much you blow for a shofar and there's no other thing you do with it, that's a kli shemalatzo lezer, and therefore it is moksa. Rabbi Shimon is more lenient for moksa. He holds, even though it's a kli shemalatzo lezer, even though the chatzotzos are made primarily to do something on Shabbos, and there doesn't really seem to be other usages, but it's not moksa. 
because ultimately is a kli. Rabbi Nechemia holds even a shofar as moksa because Rabbi Nechemia has a very machmir opinion in moksa that utensils can only be moved for what their primary usage is. Even a kli hatzer that's primarily used for something that's mutter, you're only allowed to use on Shabbos something for its primary uh, primary use. So that's a tremendous uh, tremendous chiddush. You can't, for example. According to Reb Nechem, you can't even use a knife to cut a rope on Shabbos, which is mutter. But what's the reason? Because the knife is primarily used to cut food, not to cut ropes. Reb Nechem holds you can only use kalim on Shabbos for their primary usage. So according to Reb Nechem, there's no way you can use a shofar on Shabbos, even, let's say, for example, to, uh, to, to, to improvise, a, to use as a cup. You can't do such a thing because it's not its primary usage. So to summarize, we have three opinions. The most machmer, Reb Nechemia, he holds even the shofar's moksa because you can only use kalim on Shabbos for their most designated usage. According to the middle opinion, Reb Yudah, he holds the shofar is not moksa, it's not a klisha matzah because it's also a cup. Whereas a chatzotzot, and you don't really use for anything else, is moksa. And then Reb Shimon's opinion is that even a chatzotzot is not moksa because ultimately it's a kli, so a kli is not, uh, is not moksa. And it would, um, it, it just, it's just, however, it comes out a strange thing. It seems like we're saying a shofar is not a klisha matzah at all. Uh, that's totally mutter, even according to Reb Yudah, and that Reb Shimon holds that even a klishim is like a chatzotzis is mutter to move. This, these facts, which Rashi seems to be learning, are at odds with some of the things we're going to learn later on in the Masechah. We're going to learn later on in the Masechah that everybody agrees that a klishim or like a hammer or a pen, you're allowed to move for certain things and not other things. You're allowed to move a litzor of kufa and makomo if it's, uh, you need to use it for something mutter or if it's the, you need the space that it's in. But you can't move it, let's say, just because you want to move it stam or if it's outside and it's dangerous for it, you can't move it inside. It's a klishim where Everybody agrees to that. So what's going on here? Um, so Tosos actually learns that when we say that Reb Shimon allows a person to move a trumpet, it means Latzar Kufa Makomo, uh, because it's a Klisha Matzah and 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 and, and, and the, the 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 trumpets, however, Reb Yehuda is more mach when he holds you can't even move them Latzar Kufa Makomo, and the reason is because since uh, the trumpet is really a Klisha Matzah which doesn't really have any other usages whatsoever, so Reb Yehuda is more mach, and Reb Yehuda says that such a thing is treated as if it's a worse category of moksa. It's not only a Klisha Matzah it's a kli that's like solely only used for Isser, and you can't really have any usage for it, and it's Mount Motosar from Makomo, and that's the point that Rabbi Shimon disputes. Rabbi Shimon holds that no, that ultimately it's only a Kalish Matzalis, so you're allowed to move it, Lazar from Makomo. That's the way Tosos learns the Machlokas. But uh, from Rashi, again, it appears that a shofar we're saying is not a Kalish Matzalis at all because it's a cup, and uh, therefore, even according to Rabbi Yudat Mutter, and, and Rabbi Shimon holds it that, that even a Kalish Matzalis, like a trumpet, is not Moksa. That's, that's the way it appears uh, for the way that Rashi is learning the Gemara. Now, according to uh, Abayah's explanation, we just have to translate saying, "My shofar nami." What does shofar mean in Rabbi Nechemia's brayso? Right, Rabbi Nechemia's the brayso that you can't move. You can't move um, in the brayso. It said you can't move the shofar or the trumpet. So, what's going on? If it says you can't carry the shofar, why do I have to add that you can't carry the trumpet? I mean, if even a, sh- a shofar you can't move, which you might theoretically have a use as a cup for a kid, well, then of course you can't carry the trumpet. So we said that price it was the one of Reb Nechemia, but what's the pshat? Doesn't isn't it extra? Once it says you can't carry the shofar, isn't it obvious you can't carry the trumpet? So the answer is chatzotzot. It's referring to chatzotzot to Rav If it's like it's like Rav Chista, that the term shofar and chatzotzot sometimes can be switched, and what we call shofar is chatzotzot. What we call and what we call chatzotzot is really shofar. Dam Rav Chista, honey, class me these three things. They it changes in their names once the base mesh was destroyed. Chatzotzot shofarta, shofarta chatzotzot. What used to be called the chatzotzot is really a shofar, and what's really we used to be called the shofar, it's called the chatzotzos. 
practical differences between the Shofar and Rosh Hashanah. For the Shofar and Rosh Hashanah, we have to make sure that we get what we call a Chatzotos, because what we call a Chatzotos today is really the Shofar, what is really correct. Um, so it, now the names have just changed, so we're looking for what we call today a Chatzotos for the Shofar uh, of Rosh Hashanah. So the Brisa that mentioned that you can't carry either a Shofar or a Chatzotos, um, it's supposed to really be, it's, it's, and the reason it makes sense is because the shofar in that price was what we call a the one that's not curved, and then it's telling even a bigger chedesh, even the curved one um, is also uh, forbidden to be moved. So that's just some language cleanups to make sense of what's going on. So to summarize what we've learned, we have a big machlokas uh, about moving trumpets and shofars on Shabbos. The issue is uh, the issue of muksa, the kilim le'isr, kilim which are primarily made to do something, is, uh, to do something also for on Shabbos, you're not supposed to move. So we have a three-way machlokas. The most machmer opinion of Reb Nechemia is that even the shofar is not allowed to be handled because um, he holds that kilim are only allowed to be moved for their primary purpose. Then we have the middle view of Rabbi Yehuda that a shofar is not moksa, but a chatzor uh, is. The difference being that a shofar can also be used as a cup. And then we have the most lenient opinion of Rabbi Shimon who holds that even the klishim lata is for like the trumpet is allowed to be moved. Now we, once we analyze these changes in language, we look at some other examples where language changes. Arava tzavsafta. What used to be called an arava tzavsafta, tzavsafta arava. Used to be a tzavsafta is now an arava. So this is relevant to sukkahs. Line of kamina lula for the lulas. We need the willow branches. We need what the Torah calls aravas. But uh, what we need, what's known today as a tzatzavta, that's what we need today. Another example, pesora, pesorta, what used to be called a pesora, is really, uh, a pesora is really a pesorsa, pesorsa, pesora. What used to be a pesora is now a pesora. So the Gemara says, these, um, these are different types of tables. Business. So just to know, you know, what, what, what type of table, what size table you know, you need to know. So we used to you. Uh, what used to be you call the besor, the besor is now the pesorsa, and that's important to know that change in language. We can add other other things where things have changed. Ulola bekasi, the part of an animal that used to be called the vlila is now the bekasi bekasi vlila. used to be the bekasi vlila. So what this is talking about an animal, kosher animals have the four stomachs. They have the keres, where the food first goes, first goes there, after it goes, and then there's the base akosos, the second stomach. Then there's the hemsis, then the third stomach, where it divides, uh, it dissolves more, and then finally there's the keva. So, Abai is talking about the second and third stomachs. What people used to call um, the huvlila now is the bekasi. What people call the bekasi is now the huvlila. Who cares what you call the second and third stomach? In the case where you have a needle that's found in the thick wall of the animal in the base akosos. So what is the law? So again, if there's a complete puncture all the way through, that makes it a trefa because a puncture there in the wall makes it that it's like a fatal defect and a trefa can't be eaten. So if you find the machat, so you don't know if it punctured all the way through. So normally the halacha is mitzadach and sheriff. It's only punctured on one side, the animal's kosher, mishnei tzadim, trefa. It's on both sides, it's a trefa. So basically the law is that it's a very thick, very thick wall of the base akosos, so it's okay. It's okay if it's only on one side, not on both sides. So it's very important that we know what the Beikosos is. If it's not the Beikosos, then it's not like that. So what we're saying that what we call the Beikosos today is not really the real Beikosos. That's really the Hemsis. Where even just, it's a thinner wall, even if just a, um, a hole on one side would be a problem. So in order to make sure what we really have, to know what to identify what the Beikosos is, so we're saying that the names have switched. So what we call, what, what, what used to be called the Huvlila is now the Beikatsi. We call the Beikatsi is now the Huvlila. And this makes a difference now in the laws of Trefa for knowing um, where needles on one side are a problem and, and where needles are not a problem unless they're on both sides. Then we add one more final change in words. Amar Abayah from Unomar, we can also add. Um, Bubble, the place that was known 
as Bavel, Borsif is now called Borsif, Borsif, the place called Borsif, Bavel is now called Bavel. The man of Kamina who cares the Gidei Nashim for divorce documents for women. You have to write the name, the, know the, write the right place, the place where the people live. So you have to know where the current, right, the current place. So if your person lives in a place that used to be Bavel, but if it's not called Bavel anymore, it's called Lisa, then you have to do the current name and uh, vice versa, such a thing would be true. Okay, now we move on to the third parak. The third parak of Shabbos is very relevant to the laws of Bishul on Shabbos. So let's just give um, a little bit of an, of an introduction. That Midar Aisa, there is no problem with putting food up right before the Shabbos begins because you're not, putting, you're not cooking on Shabbos. Cooking on Shabbos is defined by putting the food onto the fire. So Midar Aisa, there's no problem with putting food onto a, onto a fire right before Shabbos and having it cooked by itself on Shabbos. The only issue that might be there is the fact that your kalim are working for you on Shabbos, but we already learned in the first part of our Masafla that that's not a problem for your kalim to work on Shabbos. So technically, by the letter of the law, to put up food right before Shabbos would not uh, violate any prohibitions. However, it seems that the rabbis were concerned that if food is cooking by itself on the Shabbos, then you might need to expedite the cooking process and you might stoke cold. Stoking cold is forbidden, that's havar, that's kindling a flame on Shabbos. So if there's food that's exposed on the flame, you might go ahead and you might, um, you might uh, stoke some of those coals, which would be havar on Shabbos. So because of that, the rabbis were concerned that stokable coals on Shabbos are a problem to have them, to have them uh, be exposed. Now, there's a very uh, fundamental machlokas between Hananya and the Rabbana. There's machlokas if food is barely edible, it's not fully ready, is this prohibition still apply? Hananya says once the food is barely edible, there's no more of an answer for it to be exposed on the coals. Because what, why would you come to stoke the coals? That you could eat it the way it is. Whereas the Rabbana says since it's still beneficial for the cooking process, uh, until the food is fully ready, then we still say there's an isra to leave it on the food. All of this will be elaborated upon in the Gemara. I'm just giving an introduction so that we can better understand the Mishnah. Um, that's one very important issue. And then another very important issue is that there's an isra to put something onto a fire on Shabbos. Even fully cooked food, to put it onto a fire on Shabbos is asr because it looks like, it might, like a person is cooking. Um, it looks like such a thing is asr. However, food that was on the fire on Shabbos, you just took it off tempor- temporarily to return it to the fire would be mutter under certain, cer- certain circumstances as we will see. So now let's begin the part. Says the Mishnah Kira. Kira is a stovetop and its opening is large and you can put two different pots um, on top of the stove top. So if I have a kira, if the fuel is straw or stubble, which are really bad fuels, they can only really retain heat. They don't really add heat. They don't work well. Can't stoke them well. So then, no there's no problem to put any cooked food upon it. Such a thing is never a problem because it's not, there's no concern. You might come to stoke it. It doesn't look like cooking. There's none of those problems that we've talked about are a problem because it's not really fuel. But the gepes, if it eats him, so gepes is the leftovers um, from, from the, from the, from, from, from oil after olives has been pressed. So the residue is considered very good fuel or with good f- wood, wood is obviously good fuel. Then the halacha is low yit and you can't put food on it, until you at least shovel away the coals that she didn't say for, or you put ash over them. So what does the Mishnah mean low yit and you can't put f- cook food on it? So we're going to see that the Gemara is not sure about it. Doesn't mean that on Arab Shabbos you can't put food on it. Um, because of this, what's called shihil, leaving food on, because you might stoke the coals. Is that what it means? Or perhaps loyiti means that you can't put food on on Shabbos, because uh, it looks like cooking. So we're going to see in the Gemara that there's two possible ways to understand what our Mishnah means. But either way, the Mishnah is saying you're not allowed to do such a thing unless you either clear away the coals, or you put, and there's only heat that remains, or you put ash over them. Putting ash over them means that now you're not going to be enticed to stoke it, or it doesn't look like cooking, because when you're, you've done an action that, that, that is cooling off the... The coal, so that would be an example of something like that in relevant, you know, modern terms would be like, uh, 
would be like uh, covering covering a stove top with a blech, which is, is something like like an example of what the mission is talking about, where you do a positive action to cool it off. So then that shows that mentally, hey, it's not looking like cooking, and you're not going to stoke anything going on. Here. Now, even once I said that the, once the mission said there were had to, to shovel or cover with ash, it's only a hatter to put hot water on, but not but not food, because. Hot water, you're less enticed to stoke because of the fact that it heats up pretty easily. So there's no problem. But for tavshil, for hot food, beishamay is not mekel, even if it's, even if you put the ash. Whereas the hatir is both for hot water and for cooked food. Another machlok is Whenever you take something off a kira on Shabbos, you're never allowed to put it back because putting it back makes it look like you're cooking. And you can return it. We're even talking about if the if if the if the fire was covered or if you put the ash on it, Bishama is always machmer. You can never put something onto a fire on Shabbos itself. Whereas Basil is Makel, that you could return it as long as it was on the as it was on the fire, you just took it off temporarily, you could return it. It doesn't look like an act of cooking because initially putting something on fire might look like cooking. But once it was there and I just took it off temporarily, to return it is not a problem. Okay, so we had this difficult line in the mission that when there was good fuel, you're not allowed to put food on unless you move away the coals or if you um, cover them with ash. So, what does it mean that you can't place? Do we mean to return food onto the Kira on Shabbos? Are we talking about the laws of Chazara? And saying you can't put food on Shabbos, you're not allowed to return food unless the fire is gar for cotton, the coals have been moved away or covered in ash. And the issue of the Mishnah is Chazarav on Shabbos, putting food onto the, onto the fire on Shabbos, even fully cooked food, because it looks like it's cooking. That's the issue that we're discussing. Avalishos, but put food on, to leave food on that I put before Shabbos, the Mishnah was never discussing that. And what's the halacha then? Mashin, you could leave food on even if the kira is not shoveled away or covered in ash. And why is that mutter? Maybe the Mishnah holds like Hanani. Zitanya says, in a bride, so Hanani Omar, Hanani says, Koshu Machem as long as the food has reached Machem and is a bandit, he only he has to cook on the go. He doesn't have much time to, for, to cook the food. So as soon as it gets like half cooked, he would eat it that way. So his food that has reached like a barely edible state, you can leave it on top of the kir before Shabbos. Even if the fire is not it's not shoveled away or covered in, covered in ash. And that's the Mishnah never outlawed such a thing. Maybe holding like Hananya as the food is, as soon as the food is barely edible, you could leave it on a fire, exposed fire before Shabbos. That's totally fine. The only thing I can't do is on Shabbos return food to such a kira on Shabbos. So maybe that's what the Mishnah holds. Oh, Domar, maybe when the Mishnah says loyitin, you know what loyitin means? We're talking about an Arab Shabbos. And Lishos not. The Mishnah is saying you can't leave it on the fire before Shabbos. If the fi- if the coals are exposed, only if the kira is shoveled or covered in ash can you leave food on it. But if not, you're not allowed to leave it. And certainly it's also to return food on such a kira on Shabbos. So we're actually not sure what is the simple meaning of the Mishnah. The Mishnah said, Don't leave it on, don't put it on expo- exposed coals. So what does it mean, don't put? Or is the Mishnah talking about on Shabbos, you're not allowed to do Chazara? Uh, and, and unless unless the coals are covered, and, and however to do shihia to leave food on from before Shabbos, that's mutter even if the fire is exposed. And the reason is because we go like Hananya that as long as it's half cooked, there's no concern you'll stoke the coals. Or the opposite, there's the Mishnah mean lo yitin that you can't do shihia, you can't even leave it there from before Shabbos if the food isn't fully cooked. You're not allowed to do such a thing, and certainly it's also to put it on on Shabbos. So the Gemara first says Tashma, let's bring a proof. We had two different. 
um, two different parts of the Mishnah. First, it said, There was one machlokas about doing, about putting something on the kira, whether it's only, Beishamah said it's only mutter to do it for hot water and not cook food. It means so it was mutter even cook food. And then point number two of the Mishnah said, we had another dispute, Beishamah said you can never return food to a fire on Shabbos, and Beishamah said you could. So yeah, if the beginning of the Mishnah was talking about leaving food on from before Shabbos, now we can understand the Mishnah like this. If the kira was kira with straw or stubble, remember those are the bad types of fuel. So then you could do whatever you want. Mashallah, Tavshi, you can leave cooked food on before Shabbos. But the Gephas, if they ate him, if it was good types of fuel, lo yashi, you can't leave the food on before Achi unless I cool, um, move away the coals or Achi Yigraf, or I put ash over them. That was the introduction of the Mishnah. And even if I do do that, I put the ash over. Or I shovel away the coals, what could I leave? Basil says hot water and not cook food. Basil says hot water and cook food. That's the point, all case about Shehiyah. And now the mission then continued to say, It's the same as between Bisham and Bisol about leaving cooked food on the cure before Shabbos. If I've cleared away the ashes, what type of food I can leave away? There's another issue about doing Chazara on Shabbos. Bisham says, even if the fire is covered, but you can't, Never return food on Shabbos. You can never put food onto a fire Shabbos. Basil says you're allowed to do Chazara on Shabbos. That is the last part of the Mishnah. So the way to understand the Mishnah, the Gemara thinks, is that there's three different points. Number one is you can't do Shehiyah from Arab Shabbos unless the fire is Garfakatam. If it is Garfakatam, point number two, what could I do Shehiyah on? Basil says even food. Bishami says only hot water. Point number three, on a, on a, on a, even on a gar cotton fire on Shabbos, Bishamai never says you can never do chazar, you can never put food on, on Shabbos, and Bishol is makel to return food on Shabbos. So that would be the three points of the Mishnah. If the opening part of the Mishnah was talking about chazara, really to do shihiyah is always mutter like chanania as long as the food is machab and drusai. And when the Mishnah said don't put it on, it meant not to do chazara. So what's going on? So what is the opening line of the Mishnah saying? It must be saying like this. Kira, the kira was heated up with straw or stubble, the bad fuel machzirin lot then you could always do chazar to it for on Shabbos because it doesn't look like cooking because it's not good fuel. But Begevis, if it eats him, if it's good fuel, lo you can't do chazar because it looks like cooking. Unless I moved away the coals or if I put ash on them, that now allows me to do chazar. What type of food could I do chazar? Bishami says hot water but not cooked food. You could even do hot food. So very good. So that's the end. But when the, what's the third clause? But then what do we say afterwards? Basically, we said, What is this extra third clause in the Mishnah? We already mentioned in the beginning of the Mishnah that you can't do Chazara unless it's Garvakatim. And if it's Garvakatim, you, you could do Chazara. So, 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 so what in the world is this, is, this, is this extra thing, is this extra point coming to do at the end of the Mishnah? So it must be that the only way to learn the Mishnah is that the opening line of the Mishnah was not talking about Chazara. The opening line of the Mishnah was talking about Shehiyah. And then at the end of the Mishnah first is when we get to Chazara. So to summarize what we've learned in this long proof, there's two issues. There's an issue called Shehiyah and there's an issue called Chazara. There's an issue of Shehiyah, leaving food on the fire from before Shabbos. And within that, we know that the background, that there's a machok between Hanani and the Rabbanan, if you could do Shehiyah, if the food is barely edible. That's one issue. There's another issue of Chazara, of returning food to a fire on Shabbos. In order to, we, we are not sure what the opening line of the Mishnah. The opening line of the Mishnah said, Lo yitin, don't put food. Is the Mishnah saying, don't put food on exposed coals unless, um, unless I, I, I put ash on them. Is the Mishnah saying, don't do Shihiyah, or is the Mishnah saying, don't do Chazara? If the Mishnah is saying, don't do Chazara, then Shihiyah is mutter as long as it's Machmandri, so like the opinion of Hananiah. If the Mishnah is saying, 
don't do Shia, then the mission was like the Rabbanon and saying don't do Shia. The Gemara thinks it means Lo'yitin means don't do Shia because or else the mission is going to be repeating itself because at the end of the mission it talks about Chazara. So the Gemara answers that no, it's not so simple. Really, I could tell you that the mission is talking about returning food. And even though it seems like the last point of the mission is redundant, and really Shia is Motor Lechanan. The end of the mission is, mixing, the myth, is missing words and this is the way you should read it. Is the kiras heated with the straws, double the bad fuel mouse, you could return food. Uh, and again, to do shiho is always much more. If it's good food, good fuel, you're not allowed to return food until you shuffle away the coals or if you put ash over them. And again, lishos, but to leave food on, you can always leave food on even if it's not shuffled away or cut because we're going like. What type of food can I leave on? Beishami says, only hot water, not cooked food. Beishami is saying, even cooked food. Then the third clause goes back and clarifies what we opened. This is the law that I told you. That you're not allowed to do Chazar and Shabbos. Unless it's Garfa Katam, you should know that not everybody holds you can do Chazar if it's Garfa Katam. In truth, it's really a machlokas between Mishami and Shabbos. says you could only take something off and not do Chazar even if it's Garfa Katam. says you could return it. So to some. So, so to summarize, we, we, bottom line is, is that we have two viable ways of learning the Mishnah. Either when the Mishnah said lo yitain, it was only talking about Shehiyah, and then we're, it's talking about Shehiyah, and we're not going like Hananiah, and it's also to Shehiyah, even on food that's Machab and Shusai. And then the third clause of the Mishnah was going on back and telling us a new halacha about Chazara, that Bishamah never allows Chazara, and Bishol allows Chazara to a fire that's Garfakatim. Whereas the second way to learn is that when the Mishnah was never speaking about Shehiyah, Shehiyah is mutter, as long as the food of Machab and Shusai, like the opinion of Hananiah. When the Mishnah said lo yitain, it meant you can't do Chazara on Shabbos. The third clause of the Mishnah is clear. Clarifying that with that, that we said you can't do Chazar, but you could do Chazar if it's Garfa Katam, that's really only the opinion of, that's really only the opinion of, of Basil, of Basil, but Bashame holds you can't do Chazara even if it's Garf Ve